I've listened to I Put a Spell on You by Nina Simone ever since episode 57. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Spin It, the record-ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, and with me is Connor. It's me. I'm with you, as always. As always, and I'm also with you, also as always. And this week, we're back into the spin cycle, which I'm excited about. Were you excited for this one? I always love a good spin cycle. Me too. And for reference, Nina Simone, you chose as your favorite feature of sorts from Lil Wayne's The Carter 3 back on episode 57. Sure did. His song Don't Get It features a sample from one of her tracks. And that's what led me to this album. She had been on my radar for a while. I was looking for a a good time to fit her in. And then when you said, maybe that'll put her on the spin cycle, I was like, perfect. Let's go for it. (laughs) Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah. And here we are 20 episodes later. Here she is putting spells on us. Now, Nina Simone is one of those uh, musicians kind of with historical significance, you know. She put out music at a really unique time in history and gave a really unique voice to a lot of different issues and stuff. Have you heard of Nina Simone in other contexts or for, like, any reason? Not in any way I could tell you about right now. I don't remember. Like, off the top of my head, nothing comes up. Well, that's fair. It's it's kind of a name a lot of people associate with jazz and blues music, one of the um, more iconic artists in the genre, I think. But let's learn a little more, shall we? Yeah, I'm ready. Hit me with it. Okay, I think I will. Nina Simone is also known as the High Priestess of Soul, which is a pretty lofty title. I know we've had some other musicians with titles, but High Priestess of Soul is... That's a pretty pretty good one. I'm the high priestess of spin it. Do you want to be? I don't know. I mean, the position's open. <laughs> ask yourself this. Do we really need one? Do we need one of soul? Yes, maybe. I don't know. Well, we have one. I don't think you ever need a high priest or priestess. I prefer my priestesses on the ground. Don't let oh. them get high up in the air. I see where you're Yeah, I see where you're going with that. Anyway, with that dumb joke aside, tell me more. <laughs> yeah, Eunice Kathleen Wayman is her real name. She was born in 1933 depression era in north carolina she was the sixth out of eight children and she started to play piano by age four with early aspirations to one day become a concert pianist not just a concert pianist by the way she would have been the first black woman in history to do so she spent her teen years playing recitals honing her piano skills and in 1950 she went to study at juilliard for a summer as she was getting ready to apply to the curtis institute of music in philadelphia when she applied she was one of 72 applicants but only three of them got in and she was not one of them so Mm. you know she decided to find other options since the family already had moved to philadelphia those other options included taking piano lessons starting in 1954 with vladimir sokolov one of the professors at curtis the school that she didn't get to he preferred sandals because his socks were all off sock all off okay that was (laughs) you're really on a bad joke kick tonight yep that's the kind of episode we're in for great buckle up 
Pull out the straps. Strap in. Right. So in 1954, she starts commuting to Atlantic City to perform and earn more money. So she starts playing at a local bar and grill called Midtown Bar. She plays all this jazz, blues, and classical music. And the owner decided that she ought to sing in addition to just playing the piano. And she was making $90 a week. The music was not exactly traditional. Her mother called it the devil's music. So in order to kind of fly under the radar and stop her mother from finding out that she was down in Atlantic City playing the devil's music, she adopted the pseudonym Nina Simone as her stage name. It was derived from her nickname Nina and the first name of French actress Simone Signore. Fun fact, and also another spin cycle tie-in, thanks to you. We're getting all sorts of spin cycle tie-ins this episode. (laughs) It's true. And they're all thanks to me. (laughs) You're right. I hope you like this album then. If you made this album happen on the podcast and then you don't like it, well, that's a bummer. I have no one to blame but you. But it's only your fault? Sorry, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> I guess we'll see. I'm excited to see what you thought about this album. This It's kind of way more up your alley than some of the other stuff we've talked about. Is it now? Yes. Won't you tell me what's in my alley? I'm just, I postulate that that's what it may be. My alley is an enigma. So noted. <laughs> but what I was saying is the other Spin Cycle tie-in is that one of Nina's earliest recordings was of George Gershwin's I Loves You, Porgy, from the musical Porgy and Bess. And it turned out to be her only Billboard Top 20 song in the United States, but... It was a really strong precursor to her first LP, Little Girl Blue, in 1959. So, I guess George Gershwin, you brought him for the singles episode, and he's had some worth. It's part of my redemption here. Yeah, and that's exactly why I would say, you know, this is more up your alley. She literally covers things that you bring. But she was caught in a bad deal on Little Girl Blue. She sold all of her rights to all of the work outright. She just sold the rights right away, and she missed out on more than a million dollars in royalties. But mostly, she wasn't interested in recording anyway. She was interested in making money to continue studying classical music. Mm. Pop music and recording as a whole was kind of just a side gig to her until the early 60s. Which is interesting, isn't it, to kind of be a musician that isn't trying to be a musician. Yeah, it'd be almost like if we were making a podcast just on the side. Well, I figured that's how Connor's Hippin' and Hoppin' album was going to be. You went into this podcast just trying to make a podcast, and now you have to make an album. I gotta make two albums. Connor's Hippin' and Hoppin' album and Connor's Hippin' and Hoppin' Christmas album. That's right. Spencer Wonderland is now behind us officially. It is. Well, see you next year for Spencer Wonderland 3. Anyway... After that first LP, she put out four studio albums, five live albums, and two albums that were kind of a blend of studio and live material. In 1964, her music started to take a pretty pointedly political turn. She signed with Phillips Records and was given full creative control, so she started to write a lot of civil rights and protest songs that detailed all of her emotions and reactions to all kinds of significant events in the era, like the murders of Emmett Till and Megger Evers, church bombings in Birmingham, and more. So she started to turn into a real civil rights activist, calling for rapid equality and making quite a statement with her music in the process, which is kind of how she rose to such historical prominence by being, you know, a voice of the civil rights movement. A year later, in 1965, and still under Phillips Records, as she would be until 67, Simone put out the album that we're covering today. I put a spell on you, so we'll get there, talk more about that in a bit. First, we should look at the rest of her career, which continued on a little bit after the album came out. As you can imagine, uh, a black woman in 1965 singing protest songs was not exactly the most popular in the music industry at the time. What? Uh, Yeah, I know, if you can believe it. Radio stations smashed up the promotional records that she sent to them 
People were calling for boycotts of her music, and it kind of got ugly. By 1970, she was feeling really disheartened and overwhelmed, and actually, she had a warrant out for her arrest after protesting the Vietnam War and neglecting to pay taxes. So she moved to Barbados and actually started having an affair with Errol Barrow, the country's first prime minister, which is a really interesting fact. Yeah, she actually said that the United States failed her, and she left never to return. Yeah, she did not come back often. She spent most of the rest of her life abroad. Ever. <laughs> she literally never came back. So Not to, not to live. Yeah. She never lived in the United States again. She did come back occasionally, but yeah. She did spend the rest of her life abroad, frequenting Barbados, Liberia, London, Switzerland, and Paris. In total, she'd record 19 studio albums and 14 live albums during her career. In 1988, she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and in 1993, she put out her final record, A Single Woman. Her last time in the United States to play shows and, you know, visit was in 1998, and after being diagnosed with breast cancer, she passed away in southern France in 2003 at the age of 70. Yeah. Yep. Sad. So, kind of an interesting career, uh, fraught with turmoil for most of it, actually, which is kind of sad. I feel like she deserved better. Yeah, but part of it's just, I think, growing up at that time. Yeah, it's an unfortunate consequence of, yeah, the social status of the world and country around her as she was making her music. But that said, though, she was still a hugely influential jazz and cabaret singer. Critics and historians looking back have kind of agreed that she broke the mold and was really instrumental in the emergence of the protest song and the injection of social commentary into mainstream popular music just as a whole. Rolling Stone deemed her the 29th greatest singer of all time, and poet Maya Angelou once said, she is loved or feared, adored or disliked, but few who have met her music or glimpsed her soul react with moderation. Which is like, wow, <laughs> you know? What a way to say that she's a polarizing figure. Lover or hater, you don't react with moderation. Yeah. Her rendition of I Loves You Porgy was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2000, and she earned two honorary degrees from Amherst College and Malcolm X College, after which point she apparently liked to go by Dr. Nina Simone. Even the Curtis Institute, the same school that denied her entry in the 50s, was just about to honor her with an honorary degree a few days before her death. Mm -hmm. Talk about full circle. She was nominated for two Grammys during her lifetime, and then twice again posthumously. And in 2018, she made it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In 2021, she was inducted into the National Rhythm and Blues Hall of Fame. And in 2002, her home in the Netherlands designated a street, Nina Simone Street. Yes. As far as her, you know, musical style goes, that we'll hear a lot more on I Put a Spell on You. She incorporates and floats between a lot of these different styles. You can kind of hear a lot of jazz, blues, gospel, and folk elements in her music on this album and beyond. She was a really acclaimed piano player, and she actually liked to talk to and with her audiences during shows, which was really unique at the time. And I feel like that would make her an excellent like piano player at a bar, you know, just interacting with people. It would probably draw a lot of attention to her, talent aside. Also, I found this really interesting. She was super conscious about the sound and the specifics for the acoustics of each venue she performed in. She would tailor every single set list and performance specifically to suit the acoustics of the room. And she would play what would sound best in that space. That is cool. Yes, it is. She also got a little hot-tempered with the audience from time to time. You know, with her background in formal classical 
classical piano music, she never really got used to audiences that weren't always quiet or respectful, and especially uh, at nightclubs and other more casual venues early on. Apparently, this was a real issue. According to her guitarist, Al Shackman, he said her playing would sometimes vary between reaching heights of hypnotic brilliance and her leaving the stage abruptly after a few mechanically played songs when she would get frustrated. Mm. So she's, uh, I think, maybe a little bit not of a perfectionist, but someone who obviously really cares about the craft of her music. And I think that's evident through a lot of parts of this album. Which, by the way, we're talking about I Put a Spell on You. If you want context for everything we're saying, go listen to it. It's a quick little listen. It'll only take you a little over half hour. A dozen tracks. Pretty short. The album was recorded in New York City from 1964 to 65, and it was released in June of 1965 as Nina Simone's 12th album. It's got a heavy emphasis on vocals, even though there are a couple of really intriguing instrumental tracks on here. I Put a Spell on You made it to number 99 on the Billboard 200, and all the way up to number 9 in the UK, and as a single, the song I Put a Spell on You reached number 23 on the Hot R&B Singles chart, which is actually really lucky, because I learned during this research that that chart was temporary discontinued for about a year that ended just a couple weeks before this song was released. She she brought the chart back with style. And according to the liner notes, it only took four people to make this record. Simone herself, a guitarist, and two arrangers and producers. So that's what we're looking at for I Put a Spell on You. I'm excited to get your thoughts on it. I'm excited to give them. Okay, well, with that said, then let's just go ahead and wait a couple minutes to get those thoughts while the mixtaper comes in <laughs> and plays Factor Spin. <laughs> Happy New Year! Oh, that's right. This is our last episode of 2022. I didn't even think about that. Yes. Comes out the Friday before New Year's Eve. So it does. How was your 2022? How was your Spinter Wonderland? How was your holiday season? It was good. You have a good Christmas? It was. It, it sucked. Uh-oh. That's not good. I lost, I lost the vote. I'm not the new Santa Claus. Are you surprised that people didn't vote for you to be Santa? A little. I just think people don't want you to overextend yourself. You know, that would be like your third job. Yeah, that's true. I already have two jobs. Yeah. It's a tough economy out there. It sure is. <laughs> Do you have any New Year's resolutions? Uh, Yes. Win more rounds of Factor Spin. I feel like that was your New Year's resolution last year. Yeah, and I failed. <laughs> well, I hope... Never mind. I was going to say I hope your New Year's resolutions come to fruition in the new year, but I really don't because they're just against me. Fair enough. How about you? To win more rounds of Factor Spin, as it just so happens. Oh, well then. <laughs> Seems like we're at odds. <laughs> One of us may fail. But let's see if we can end the year with a bang. Let's see who takes the last Factor Spin of 2022. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I think because we're about to start a new year, that we should bring this season of Factor Spin to a close. Oh, this will be the last one in season, what, five? Five, I think. <laughs> yeah, and then we'll start the new year off in season six. And I may actually keep track of the seasons. But with that in mind, let's start with my first supposedly true fact. Okay. She had her own fleet of monkeys. This is not the final ramp? No. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I wanted to start with a bang and end with a bang, so... Starting with this one. So it's like a bang sandwich. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, that'd be two bangs in the middle. Oh, yeah, you're right. I don't know. These are all kind of bangs, in my opinion. Okay. So I want to first talk about the unit you've used here. Uh, a fleet of monkeys? Yeah. Is that a specific amount or a specific configuration of monkeys? No, it's just what I chose to call it. <laughs> okay, because fleet usually implies like a combat unit or a bunch of ships. Hang on. What is a group of monkeys? Well, I mean like- Oh, 
Yeah, I've heard of this before. And actually, monkeys have a lot of different names. Okay. So, so you got a troop of monkeys, which is usually used to describe the gathering of baboons. Then you have a barrel of monkeys. Okay, but that's not the same thing at all. No, but that's like what, like when a group of monkeys are together, they say it's a barrel of monkeys. It's another, Do they? It's another example. Yeah, I'm no. looked it up. Then there's a tribe of monkeys, and then there's a cartload of monkeys. Are seem to be the four most popular. That's a weird series of group names. But we're gonna go with fleet. Sure. So she has a fleet of monkeys. How did she acquire this fleet? It was a gift. Always with the gift animals. Okay. From whom? From her lover. Cute. Okay. Happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) And why? Did she ask for a fleet of monkeys? Is this something that her lover knew she would want? No. Was this a romantic gesture? To be fair, I guess I don't know if she wanted it or not. But Earl Barrow, the country's first prime minister of Barbados, gifted them to her as, yeah, I assume like a sign of passion. Interesting. Okay, that's a very, like, person of power thing to do, I think. Just like, that feels exaggerated, but like you'd see in a movie. Uh Uh-huh. How many monkeys were there? Let's play everybody's newest favorite spin a game show. Guess that monkey amount. So for it to be a fleet, I want to say it has to kind of exceed a dozen. I'm going to say 14. Oh, it's way bigger than that. I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay. How about 30? Oh, it's way more than that. A hundred. More. 150. More. 200. More. 300. Slightly more. 306. Okay. Not quite that slightly. Oh, 307. No. (laughs) <laughs> no this is we're getting into major monkey territory we're getting i warned you 320 320 is the estimated total <laughs> why what how do you care for all these monkeys where do you put them here is a picture of the monkey it's a barbados green-faced monkey and 300 of them ish yeah did they keep them at like a palace an executive mansion do they keep them off site somewhere yeah the government royal prime minister family of barbados has what they is like their own personal zoo that has tons of barbados uh, specific animals that are cared for and kept to preserve the wildlife of barbados interesting that's really cool conceptually and he was like i have all these monkeys and they shall be yours but also they're staying here because i can't really give them to you so mostly a symbolic gesture (laughs) nor would you probably want 300 monkeys no that's a lot jumping on the i if i had 320 monkeys i'd need to keep them all in a giant black box in between takes yeah (laughs) it's a good reference thank you it's a deep monkeys cut so it's more of a symbolic gesture yeah, it was more like, I love you so much, you can have my monkeys, but they're not really mine. They're the states, and also you can't have them. Right. <laughs> I'm trying to get a sense of scale for this zoo. How many other kinds of animals did they have, roughly? And how many, did they have like 300 of everything? So the Barbados green-faced monkey is known to travel in larger groups, which is why it was such a large amount of them. Oh, why they have a lot of them. <laughs> To make it feel more comfortable and at home. But other things that are native to Barbados uh, that they kept here. Smaller things like green lizards, the whistling frog, mongoose. But they also had a huge uh, sea turtle place where they house sea turtles. Black belly sheep were there. Okay, so it's a formidable zoo. You know what? Yeah. You actually made this very believable. I just pictured 300 monkeys running around the house and the prime (laughs) minister's going, I love you so much. And the monkeys are like eating all our bananas and just terrorizing everything. And I, I was like, that doesn't make any sense. This is obviously fake. But 
If it's purely a symbolic thing and they're in the zoo, but but why the monkeys? Why not the whole zoo? Did he not say? I just... I don't know. I just don't know. But okay, I'm going to say it's probably a fact. Whole zoo's probably too much. I mean, they were just lovers. You know, you can't you can't just give a random woman an entire zoo. No, it's true. Maybe it's like you know how like there's the there's the anniversary gifts. Oh, you know, yeah. like diamonds. This was their monkey. Jade, year. all the yeah. This was the year of the monkey. Uh huh. Whatever. Okay, <laughs> I'm saying you're making me want to switch to spin, but I'm gonna double down on fact. Oh, all right, uh, this is a spin. <laughs> Got okay. him. That was a very good spin. I did. I was like, hmm, lover of somebody from Barbados. Let's go see what Barbados is known for. And then they were like, the Barbados green-faced monkey. And I was like, let's do a fleet of monkeys. So the zoo... Yeah, I don't think the zoo exists at all. Oh, that was really cool. Yeah. Barbados, if you're listening, get that zoo rolling. (laughs) And you just made me play Guess That Monkey Amount literally for no reason. I really did. Did you know how many monkeys you were going to say before I played the game? Absolutely not. (laughs) I was like, whatever number he says first, I'm going to say higher unless he goes ridiculous with it. Unbelievable. I just want to be clear, audience, you just learned nothing. Thing. No, uh, the stuff about the barrel, true cart, and whatever about monkeys, that was real. I did look that up. I just want to make sure nobody takes any misinformation away. You know nothing. <laughs> All right, let's just move on. Let's put it behind us. All right, uh, we got another spin cycle reference here for my next one. You'll remember back in episode like around 40 for Singles 2 Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, 45, I think. Yeah. One of our listeners suggested the Age of Aquarius song. Yes, I do. I do remember that. By the Fifth Dimension. Aquarius. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, yep. And when we were talking about that, we were talking about how it was a mashup of two songs from the American Tribal Love Rock musical Hair. Yeah, I am sure we did talk about that. And my next fact for you is that Nina Simone has two songs featured in Hair. Interesting. Okay. Deeper in the spin cycle than even I realized. Yep. Which two songs? She she wrote two separate songs, but her personal version is like a mashup of them, just like Age of Aquarius, Here Comes the Sun, or whatever. Oh. Is the mashup version that is popular outside of the musical. Because if you remember Age of Aquarius and what here comes, I think it's Here Comes the Sun or something is the name of it. No, it's Let the Sun Shine In. Age of Aquarius and Let the Sun Shine In were the um, starting and ending songs for Hair, and then they took the two and mashed them together to be their own personal songs. The two that Nina was involved with was Ain't Got No and I Got Life. And so her version was I Ain't Got No dash I Got Life. All right. Seems believable. What is Hair? Remind me again. I figured you'd have that question. Hair, the American tribal love rock musical, is a rock musical with a book and lyrics by Jerome Ragney and James Rideau and music by Galt McDermott. Hair tells the story of the tribe, a group of politically active long-haired hippies of the age of Aquarius, living a bohemian life in New York City and fighting against conscription into the Vietnam War. So did she choose to have her music involved in this or was it like selected as part of the show or did she maybe write songs specifically for it yeah i think it's more of a situation that she liked the songs and wanted to help bring attention to what the the musical itself was about right they said the constriction to the vietnam war the revolution side of things Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and so she took the two songs because i think the music was kind of headed by rca which was the same recording studio that she was a part of or whatever and so she was able to get access to the songs and did the mash 
mashup of it that way. So it's not that she really wrote the songs. It's just that she helped popularize it. Gotcha. And in fact, I'm reading the Wikipedia page here, and it's fa- again, this musical, fascinating. The show was under almost perpetual rewrite. 13 songs were added between the production at the public theater and the Broadway version. So where it started and where it ended up. Wow. That's a lot. Most Broadway shows had about six to 10 songs per act, and Hair's total is 30 songs. So it's a lot of songs. It is. I think I'm going to say that this one is a spin as well. Oh. I think you looked at my notes, and I think you saw that she was very outspoken against Vietnam, and that she wrote protest songs, and I think that you really like Hair and Age of Aquarius, and I think you decided to smush those two things together into one very mundane but believable spin. Hmm, unfortunate. Does feel like a thing I would do, doesn't it? Yeah, because it's a thing that you did. It's a thing I did because it is a true fact. Well, so then it's not a thing you did. It's just true. I did it because it's true. <laughs> well, dang. I, that's a shame. Hmm. I thought maybe you'd try and pull a fast one on me. It, no, it's really how I found it, though, because I was like, I typed in Nina Simone Vietnam War and found my way to this. So that is how I got here. <laughs> okay. It's just that you got to a place that was legitimate. Yeah, I got to a legitimate place for once. Darn. Not starting off on a good foot here for the final round in season five. I'm down by two already, and we've still got two left to play. Really behind the eight ball. My next one for you. She once shot an executive. Real bang (laughs) of a a fact. I guess so. Shots have been fired. An executive of what? Her record company. Why? Because they wouldn't give her her money. Seems like things could get heated in that situation. What was her money for? Or just her work. You know, the album she'd been making and the royalty money specifically. Sure. And how much royalty money was she owed at this particular incident? I knew that would be a question you had and I tried to find it and I couldn't. So shot to wound, right? I mean, they lived. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. She missed. So she, but she had a gun. Like she came in with intent to shoot, right? I mean, yeah, she came with a gun. I don't know if she had intent to shoot. Okay. Yeah, but. Basically, they were like, we're not going to give you any money. And she said, oh, yes, you are. And then pulled out a gun and tried. she literally shot to try to kill him and missed. And missed. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, so what was the fallout from that? Obviously, if I'm her record label, not too happy with this little incident. Yeah, I don't know what the fallout was. What? (laughs) Yeah, again, there's not a lot of information about it. But I know this isn't the first mortal enemy she had. Mortal enemy. That's how she described it. Okay, who are the others? The FBI, you already kind of touched on. She had her own FBI file due to her civil rights activities and then had that worn out for her arrest for tax evasion. Well, that's true. I I do know about that. Not the first time she shot somebody either. No? I guess that's maybe the first time, but it's not the only time she shot somebody. Okay. What other times? She shot one of her neighbors with an air gun, breaking his leg. What? <laughs> yeah. With an air gun? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, I don't know. And, and then she was involved in a hit and run one time. Hmm. She accidentally hit two motorcyclists and fled, which put her in French courts where she got slapped with a fine. Oh, no. Not the kind of life I you'd think you'd be able to have a successful music career while being involved in, but here we are. Here we are. So this is interesting, and I don't, I don't know how to feel. Yeah? That's a big die I'm rolling if I say she shot an executive. That's a fact that is ridiculous to believe, but... I do think it's a fact. I'm going to lock in fact. Locking in fact. I am. Maybe to cost me a win on the episode, I'm locking in fact. This is... This is a fact. Oh, I did it. Okay. 
I did it. All that was true. Wow. I kind of glossed over some of it, trying to keep it somewhat family friendly. But yeah, she hit and run, shooting neighbors, shooting at executives. Wild time. Yeah. On the run from the FBI. That's really wild. I knew she had a temper sometimes, like from talking about, you know, how she talked to audiences when she would get frustrated or yeah, or just, I mean, in general, there's a little bit of spunk and attitude behind a protest song. But wow, I've learned. But let's see if we can uh, pull it all the way back to 50-50 or if I'm doomed to be three and one. The only thing I can't do is win this round. Yeah. I can still tie. My last one for you is that this is going to be a lot like the fact I gave Connor last time he played me. Okay. She won an impressive series of races. An impressive series of races. Yes. I don't know what that means. Uh, but last time you played against Connor was just a couple episodes ago. Yes. You gave facts about bike riding. Sure did. Well, spin about bike riding. Did she win bike races? Nope. Oh, so the other kind of races that you talked about were political races? That has nothing to do with races. Oh, sorry. What do you mean it's got not to do with races? No, no. I'm saying the similarity between Connor's round and this oh. round isn't about it being a race. Okay, I see. It's about the style of fact. <laughs> it's about the style. Sure. So what series of races is she winning? The Barbados Triple Crown of Thoroughbred Racing. Horses? Yeah. What's the Barbados Triple Crown? Like the American Triple Crown is your horse wins all three, like the Kentucky Derby and the Belmont and the Freakness. That's the Triple Crown. Does yeah. Barbados have something similar? Yes. You have to win the Barbados Guinness, the Midsummer Creole Classic, and the Barbados Derby, each one being a longer race. Interesting. But she's not a jockey. No. So does she own a horse or? No. She just bet on a horse? No. This is just a horse named Nina Simone who did this. I see. <laughs> Very similar to the Patton Oswalt fact that was more about him and the fact that he played Dr. Demento than it was about Dr. Demento. <laughs> I see. So there's, this is not a fact about Nina Simone. This, I mean, it is. Well, yeah, but Nina Simone the horse. This stinks because there's no way I'm going to be able to tell if this is true. Congratulations to Nina the horse, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the horse was named after Nina Simone. But this isn't an episode about Nina Simone the horse. <laughs> when I played against Connor, it wasn't an episode about Patton Oswalt either. But here, here we were there. That happened. <laughs> the, it was about Dr. Demento. No, it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> it was about who played Dr. Demento. It was about his portrayal in a movie. Yeah. Not about him, though. Wasn't a fact about who portrayed him in the movie. But here we are. Well, I don't think any details you give me are going to matter. I, I think you, this could be about any horse that you just change the name of. I mean, yeah, I guess it could be. But the Barbados Guinness race is a 7.8 furlongs race run in mid-April. The Midsummer Creole Classic is 9 furlongs, which is 1 in an eighth mile run in early July. And the Barbados Derby is 10 furlongs, which is 1 in a quarter miles run in early August. Okay. I guess what year did this happen? 2008. And why was the horse named Nina Simone? Just a fan? Because she spent a lot of time in Barbados? Is there any tie in that way? I have no clue. Awesome. Probably something to do with the amount of time she spent in Barbados, but I, I couldn't find any information about why it was named that. Just that it was. Oh my gosh. I think this is, I think this is a fact. <laughs> and I think you, you said this because I think, I mean, obviously with the monkey thing, you must have Googled at some point Nina Simone Barbados and tried to figure that out. And I, I think when you did, you discovered this horse that I guess <laughs> really put on a show at the Triple Crown. 
Sure. Why not? Fact. Worst I can do is lose. What a great one to end. I I wanted to end on this one because I knew it would be the hardest for you to figure out. (laughs) It's literally impossible for me to figure out. She wasn't even alive to see this happen. Nope. (laughs) No, this literally could not connect to Nina Simone's life. Other than if it was named after her in some sort of way, then it connects. I'm hoping it does. Yeah. Well, you've been let down. This is a spin. This is a spin. That sucks. Come on. You just made that up. (laughs) I was trying to find anything interesting about her time in Barbados, and I ended up on Barbados's Wikipedia page where I saw they were known for horse racing. I was like, let's do a horse fact. What a way to end the year. I'm a little bitter. Good. You should be. That's, come on. Name a horse (laughs) after her. Ah. Ha ha ha. I had to get dastardly to win this final round of season five and end on a on a win for the year. I am a dastard after all. Well, look at that. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, a tricky round of factor spin. Sure was. I think each of those facts was really difficult. Good. This was like factor <laughs> spin hard mode. But yeah. And since this was the final episode, this was the only one that counted. So I won season five. Congratulations to whoa, me. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's never been a rule. <laughs> that doesn't even make sense as a rule. Yeah, it's in all or nothing. That's how it always ends. No. Doesn't matter what the rest of the season was. All or nothing. This isn't a basketball game where only the last two minutes of the fourth quarter matter. <laughs> I don't think that's true. No, but I can wish. Fair <laughs> enough. I congratulate you on a good fifth season. Thank you. When does season five start? I don't remember. It's been a bit, though. With that, I'm off to go see about how I can get my own fleet of monkeys to add to my personal menagerie growing in Connor's apartment. That's the last thing you need. Until next year. Yeah. You know, we'll see you in 2023 for more dastardly deeds. Man, what a dastard he was today. Yeah, especially bad. I think after the holidays, he tried to be nice for Santa, and I think he's got a little pent-up evil. Dastardness. Yeah, if I had to guess. Well, let's talk about the album cover of I Put a Spell on You. Let's do it. Honestly, it's very 1965. It's a picture of Nina Simone. Sure is. And that's what it is. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. But it is interesting to note the color scheme, the black and the gold. I really think the black especially kind of fits some of the darker sonic tones of this album. She has a really distinct and deep singing voice. And I think that gives a lot of these songs a really like heavy texture, which I like, especially like compared with some of these piano instrumentals that she gets into. It's a nice contrast, just like the black and the gold here. Yeah. Up first is the album's title track, Not Messing Around, Getting Straight to Business. I Put a Spell on You. Yeah! Yes, one of Simone's most popular songs, and it's actually really stood the test of time, due in part to a lot of covers. The original song was first recorded in 1956 by Screamin' Jay Hawkins. That version wasn't super popular, but the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame named it one of the 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. And when I say this song was covered a lot, I'm talking hundreds of covers, including versions by Creedence Clearwater Revival, uh, the Alan Price set, Bette Midler in Hocus Pocus, Marilyn Manson, Jeff Beck, and many, many more people have covered I Put a Spell on You. The original version was actually so wild and screamy, being by a guy named Screamin' Jay Hawkins, that a lot of radio stations banned it. They didn't allow this song to be played. Oh, really? Yeah. But Nina's version is a lot less abrasive. The cover that she put out hit number 23 on the Billboard R&B chart and number 49 in the UK. And it's a nice song. I think it's a great way to kick off the album. Yeah, I agree. It's moody. Lyrically, I love it. You know, I put a spell on you because you're mine. Like the guy's misbehaving, running around, and her objective is to entrance him and get him to change his ways. I like the amount of attitude she sings it with. 
that's kind of really what sells it is it feels very sincere like it comes from a place of experience yeah no it's definitely like the soulful tone she has when she's singing yeah and i mean that's prevalent throughout the rest of the album too but definitely for a first track it's only two and a half minutes but i think it leaves an impression that is much bigger than that i'll put a spell on you it's a great song and the album's most popular by a pretty big stretch one of the album's most popular there's another one that rivals it there's a problem that i have with this song though oh really what's that yeah it's just that i i can't help but think of scooby-doo when i hear it really yeah that sounds admittedly like a personal problem yeah well it's because in the scooby-doo and the witch's ghost movie i believe it's that one Uh uh-huh there's the hex girls that sing the song that i'm gonna put a spell on you and well that's not even the same thing no it's not but when i hear i'm gonna i put a spell on you i can't help but think of i'm gonna put a spell on you song from the hex girls i see well can i be honest i'm a little relieved to hear you say that because at first i thought you were just gonna make some garbage joke about the scat section at the beginning of this with all the doo-doo-doo-doos and it reminded me of Scooby-Doo because you said do so much so I'm really glad that we kind of went on a different journey with that yeah equally is off topic but different but a little better What do you think of the scat? It happens a couple times throughout this album, and it's not a thing we see much. It's kind of a a jazz and blues exclusive trope, but I like it a lot too. Yeah, I like it. But that's track one. I think we should turn our attention to Tomorrow Is My Turn. Tomorrow Is My Turn. What a jaunty little song. Yeah, the tone is so different. Vastly different, but not in a bad way. I think it's uh, it's almost like what happened on Pep, where we go to the two extremes of the album in the first two tracks. Yep. I like it better here, though, than I did on that album. This song... I fell in love with it like instantly. It's just so groovy. Such a nice little easy song to get into. It is groovy. In the first verse, she talks about all these unknowns that happen in the future. Some people reach for the stars. Some end up in jail. Pretty extreme uh, set of circumstances in either case. But she says that everyone's trying to find the key to success. That elusive ray of light that will lead to happiness. And tomorrow is when that day will come. She's taking it day by day. No more doubts. No more fears. I like how melodic the chorus gets like she's kind of it's kind of got the dun da dun da dun da dun in the verse and then when she hits the chorus she's just tomorrow is my turn no more doubts no more fear it just like starts becoming very like becomes less bouncy and more melodic it it moves so fast yeah and i don't know if you you sing much but like as a vocalist that would be very tough to do and i think it shows a lot of her skill as a singer to just bounce around and not to mention the range by the way i put a spell on you like like we said she's got this deep register you know she's really able to belt out the low range yeah but in the course of tomorrow's my turn we get a lot more of the high end of her range and it's similarly on point which is great what i love lyrically is in the second verse her turn turns she says you know all these things about what's coming tomorrow how time is moving past but she says it's pointless to have regrets about the past because the future keeps coming so in that sense tomorrow is when she turns away from the past tomorrow's her turn to get what's coming to her but it's also the day that she turns from all the things that she's been holding on to i don't know it's just a really cool shift and double meaning that i just can't get enough of but i've had enough of it for now that's tomorrow is my turn (laughs) fair enough 
(laughs) (laughs) I like it a lot. Great second track. Do you want to introduce the third song? Yeah, the next song is uh, Don't Leave Me, but in a different language. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, (laughs) I wondered how you'd handle this. It's all in French. (laughs) She only says it 800 times in the lyrics, uh, this name Akite Pa. I don't speak French. You don't speak French. Or as an American would say it, because we suck at other languages, ni me quitty pass. That's not how (laughs) an American would really say it. Nina Simone, as an American, does not say it that way. I was just really trying to butcher it for you, since that's what you originally wanted. Okay, fair. I had to put in a little translating effort on this one. The original song comes from a Frenchman named Jacques Brel, whose pregnant wife had just left him. This is pretty raw. He calls the song a hymn to the cowardice of men. Man. Which is <laughs> wicked intense. And part of its melody comes from Franz Liszt's Hungarian Rhapsody Number no. 6. I see. Yeah. So as far as the original song goes, it's a really, really heartfelt plea on the part of this guy, Nina Simone actually didn't alter any of the lyrics from his version, even down to the pronouns. And uh, interesting trivia about this one, we talked about how tomorrow's my turn, she gets to use the higher end of her voice. Once again, the polar opposite here, it's a low, low, low song. She actually sings as low as an E2, and when the song was released in 1965, that was the lowest note ever sung by a woman on a major label record. Really? Yeah. That's cool. It is really cool. And you'd never know. That's that's what I love about doing a music podcast is I get to learn things like that. What a nifty little fact. I really like this song, even not knowing what any of the words meant. And that actually happened on, was it all the way back on Dula Peep? She had a French song. That she had a French song, right? That I made you go listen to on the extended version that I didn't yeah. understand really any of the lyrics for the most part. Yeah, we did listen to Fever from the Dua Lipa episode. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I really, I didn't understand those lyrics, sorry, but I, it was, ended up being one of my album highlights, even though it wasn't really on the album. So I really like this one. I do too. Sometimes I think not even understanding the lyrics, it helps it because I don't have to focus on what's being said. I can just listen to how it's being sung and how it relates to the instrumentals. Yeah. The vocals almost become its own instrument in that scenario. Absolutely. And they correlate so well. You can tell exactly what the song's about, understanding none of the words. But if you do understand the words, you would hear phrases, certified poetry, albeit sad poetry, like, we'll have to forget, everything can be forgotten, all the misunderstandings and the lost time. I will plunder the earth until the day I die to clothe your body in gold and light. Or, uh, we've often seen the fire erupt again from an old volcano we thought was extinct. Pretty cool. So it's a wildly poetic song. Yeah. And I think, honestly, everything about it is firing on all cylinders. Sure is. So even though it's a slow, sad song, this is like the most wrecking ball of a song we've ever talked about. <laughs> Love me a good slow sad song. But yeah, we can't exist in that heavy sad state of mind for too long. So she whips us right back out of it with track four. Marriage is for old folks. Another jaunty, cheeky little song about the joys of being young and single and obviously kind of rags on marriage as an old folks institution. This is another one that kind of takes that more lighthearted tone of Tomorrow is My Turn in terms of sound. Yeah, it feels very similar. And again, I like it. There are several songs, especially this one included, that I was sad I couldn't put in my Connor Top 3. Not at the expense of everything you picked for the first couple weeks of 2023. Yeah, exactly. That was the issue. I was kind of like, if it was 
wasn't for it would cost me in the future because we have some banger episodes coming up. We really do. I would absolutely have taken more, but with what you've got scheduled, what you got on the on the docket, I just can't afford it. Which is why I like that little trade-off where, yeah, you can take more, but I, I tried to make it, you have to make sure it's really worth it. Exactly. It's a little check and balance on your game. Yeah, it's nice. I like in the first verse, actually, in all the verses, she talks about all the things that she loves doing that she doesn't think she'll be able to do in marriage, like dancing and singing. But she says in the choruses, one husband, one wife, what do you got? Two people sentenced for life. Like it's this prison sentence. Like you're being locked down and chained to this one person forever. And then she says, I'm not ready to quit being free and I'm not willing to stop being me. So why should I belong to some guy who says that I'm wrong? Which is a pretty cynical worldview, but you know, a compelling argument to stay single, depending on whatever phase of your life you're in. What do you think? Is marriage for old folks? Did she convince you? Uh, Did you need convincing? I'm not married yet and I'm not old. So probably. Right. You, you don't get married unless you're old. The minute you get married, boom, you're old. So if you're young and get married, you're old. You become old. You're an old folk. I wonder how old Nina was when she got married. She got married twice. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe she was an old folk then. Yeah, she was married to Donald Ross from 1958 to 1960 and Andrew Stroud from 1961 to 1971. Okay, so she was married when she released this. So I guess she'd know. Yeah. In her 30s. (laughs) Well, that's marriage is for old folks. Up next, we should take a look at the July tree. Sure do. And I'll be honest, we get a little bit of a two-song slump here for me. Whoa! Yeah. Okay, I'll give you a one-song slump, but that's not really a slump. That's just a, a bad song. I'll contend with that when we get to the next track that I don't think is part of a slump. No, uh, it's just compared to the some of the other songs on here, the next two tracks, they, they, they just gotta be in the bottom third. Mm, okay. And almost the bottom of the album for me, just by nature of what else there is. Understandable. You're right. If I'm scoring it's maybe a bottom third stretch of the album but july tree it's a short little song and yeah my very first note was it's not my favorite she's talking about true love through this metaphor of a plant growing you plant it in the autumn it sits deep in the ground during the snowy months and she tells us it buds in april and then blooms up on the july tree great easy it just it doesn't do a lot for me yeah it's kind of expected july tree i'm gonna go ahead and say i think it's my second least favorite i did like the way it started though the instrumentals were kind of cool at the beginning with the boo 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 i did like that that made my ears smile well yeah it's true the instruments are consistent throughout yeah the instruments are consistent across this whole album i never really had a thing to complain about them and honestly even on this song i mean her singing is the same quality as well it's just the song itself that i really am having having issues with yeah the song itself just isn't it's just a mess song meh now i'm gonna take issue though like i said with gimme some track six yeah again the instrumentals do all the heavy lifting on this one i like gimme some it's a rocker it's bluesy lyrically it's not quite as poetic maybe as obviously name a or maybe as metaphorical as july tree but i would definitely say i like it a lot <laughs> I guess for me, the issue I had with with this one is the instrumentals didn't do what I thought they were going to do. It started out with the trombones and everything going bump, 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 bump. You're just like, you know, rocking out. And then they stripped that back out of the way for her and the background vocals to come in rather than keeping the instrumentals intense, Mm. which I guess was an instant turnoff for me on the song. And maybe I judged it too harshly because of that off of one listen. It just, it really got me. I was like, yeah, here we go. Really letting the instrumentals shine. And then they're like, and now they're, they're gone. (laughs) And I was like, oh, fair. What I like about this song that we don't see, I mean, certainly before this point, and I don't think after this point either, are the call and response vocals yeah, with yeah. the choir. It feels very, you know, 1960s 
blues song. I like I like that aspect of it. I liked those. I like those. It just would have been nice if on top of them was also the the horns just going at it. Well, but they're there a little bit. Yeah, they're there a little bit. I don't know. But they they showed me what it could have been at the beginning of the song and then didn't really ever go back to there. They didn't ever give you some. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what happened. They did give me some at the very beginning, and I was like, I want more, and they were like, No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad, can't have it. Also, this song is a little scandalous for 1965, isn't it? I mean, not to get too specific. Yeah, but that that makes sense with Nina. It does. Just what we've learned about her this episode. <laughs> it just, it really did surprise me, you know, uh, some of the things that she kind of doesn't conceal here. <laughs> like, okay, whoa, give me some of a lot of things. And as for, you know, the density of this song, as many lyrics as are in here, it really blows my mind that this song is less than three minutes long. Yeah. It's kind of nonstop on lyrics, which it's nice. It feels like there's always something to listen to. Yeah, no, I agree. You're right. Uh, maybe I'm a little harsh on this. I only got the one listen. Maybe there's a little harsh to it. I think you'd like it more on a second pass. Yeah, I think I can agree with that. But you know what song I loved on its first pass? Feeling Good? Yeah. Mm. Loved that. And that's mainly because it's on the Michael Buble album I almost brought instead of the one I did bring. Oh, a song you knew. It's a song I knew because Michael Buble does a really horned up version of it. Similar to this one. This one's got some good horns with it too. Yeah, his cover came out in 2005 and I suspected you might know the song from that. Yes. Well, it's definitely another one of her most famous recordings. Although it didn't really blow up until the 1980s when it was used in laundry softener commercials. Heck yeah. Which, that really blew my mind. It'll make your fabric feeling good, you know? I guess I get it. That was a fact the mixtape almost brought, and now he's glad he didn't. Yeah, yeah, he's glad he didn't. Great. Nina Simone's version has been put into a couple other different songs as well. It's been sampled in works by Avicii, Mary J. Blige, and Kanye West and Jay-Z released a track called New Day that relies on that hook. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. Which is, I think, mostly where I recognized the song from before I heard the whole thing. But anyways, uh, yeah, it's basically a Nina Simone standard. It's kind of her go-to song from this point onward in her career. Yeah. And for good reason. (laughs) She returns again to that natural imagery, too. Like we saw with, you know, maybe erupting volcanoes on Namakita Pa, but then on July Tree with flowers blooming and stuff. This song really leans into the flying birds, the fish, the running rivers. It's very descriptive and, like, beautiful. Stars and the scent of the pine and everything's just so pleasant and feeling good. It makes you feel good. And thematically, it has some connections, I think, to Tomorrow Is My Turn, where, you know, on a new dawn and a new day, that's where you turn. Everything comes at you and you're feeling good because you can let go of the past and move on. I just love that. This song in particular feels like a linchpin that makes the album really gel together. Yeah. It's a tent pole that, that pulls all of I Put a Spell on You under one umbrella. Un- under one tent. <laughs> uh, yeah, under one tent. That's usually what a tent pole does. <laughs> you got me. Yeah. Great track. Love it. Another song that I just absolutely adored. One September Day. Really? You absolutely adored it. Uh, you know me. I'm a sucker for a ballad. And this is just such a classic 1960s ballad. Like, this feels like it belongs in a black and white movie. Oh, it does. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's, it's so good. And again, I was sad it couldn't make it into my top, Connor top three. This one didn't. Really? But it also might still. I'm oh. actively changing them on the fly. So, <laughs> it currently <laughs> is in there. The show's not over yet, folks. Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, it's currently not there. But it might show up there by the time we get to final spin. What a tease. 
It's such a slow, sweet little ballad. She's looking back on that one September day, and she walks us through the stages of this growing relationship and how she remembers it, even though by this point it's faded into the past. It's a simpler song, honestly. One thing I noticed about this album is that these lyrics are either super lightweight in terms of like figurative language, or they're just so saturated with poetry and metaphor. This song is a lyrical lightweight, but the way she sings it is just dripping with emotion. Like, I yeah. just love it. She really puts her heart into it. And that's, I think, one of the things that's made Nina Simone kind of stand the test of time and become a jazz and R&B staple is just her singing and her emotion. I agree. This song is good. I like One September Day, but it's so slow that sometimes I miss it when I'm listening through the album. Interesting. I have to come back to it because I was like, what happened? I'm like halfway through it before I realize it's begun. <laughs> it just lulls me into itself and then of course another one that i just liked because i all, almost always like them we got an instrumental track yes blues on purpose yes instrumental which i have to get your thoughts on because it's our first instrumental track in a really long time if you don't count jingle bell dogs from dr demento it's been since episode 69 or 70 if you count elton john's funeral for a friend as its own instrumental song even though it's tacked on to love lies bleeding the nice had some instrumental songs though for us but it's otherwise been almost eight episodes again this is just a classic 1960s instrumental it really is and uh as with most 1960s instrumentals i think you could probably guess what i'm about to tell you parts of the song do of course include a bit of a modified 12 bar blues structure i believe it yeah it's in there and it's in there the blues are in there on purpose and it's a shame to me that we hit the highs of, I mean, the beautiful One September Day, the awesome instrumental blues on purpose. And for me, Beautiful Land is my least favorite song on the album. Really? Yeah. Why? Well, in my head, pretty early on, I reckon this song sounds like something you listen to in elementary school to learn all the colors. You know, like she Roy G. Bivs us. Which also, when did they come up with that acronym? Do you think Nina Simone knew Roy G. Biv? Obviously, she understands the concept of a rainbow. But like, was Roy G. Biv a thing? Looking now. Yeah, Roy G. Biv. It says right here, Isaac Newton's color sequence, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, is kept alive today by several popular mnemonics. One is simply the nonsense word, Roy G. Biv which is an acronym for the seven colors. Okay, so she definitely would have understood Roy G. Biv. Interesting. Now you know. Now you know. That was our Roy G. Biv tangent. <laughs> right, but so Beautiful Land, I mean, let's talk about these. It lists a lot of colors of things. and I'm actually surprised. I guess, so uh, Days of the Week not is your thing, but Colors is not in terms of listing things in your songs. But the Days of the Week usually comes with an interesting change that occurs. Like, it's, something happens over a period of time. This is just naming the colors of things. Mm, fair enough. To be fair, I guess I'd have to agree with you again looking at it. This is probably a bottom third song, but I don't think it's my least favorite. It's my least favorite, and it goes below July Tree. She talks about, you know, a lot of lollipops are red, sure, but also there are a lot of lollipops that aren't. Yeah, but when you think lollipop, I feel like red is the color that comes to mind maybe but orange is the color of oranges yeah i mean you're not wrong i mean it is but that's what we've got really i guess nothing rhymes with orange so i mean kudos to her for going for it but yeah what i do like i guess is how she brings it about at the end at the end she says yes there's this beautiful world outside that i've been describing the beautiful land but 
There's this whole rainbow of beauty that not even the greatest travelers can explore because it's hidden within you. It's in your heart. And that's a nice twist. It just kind of takes us a little too long to get there. And the road is fraught with mundane color associations. But I guess that's just something you've got to learn. And it sure is. And this is another song that I'm just like, ah, I love it so much. Yeah, track 11, you've got to learn. Sounds like you're having a lot of trouble with top three. I really am. I've got to learn what my top three are. <laughs> yeah. It's just the way it builds all the it, like from the time she starts with you got to learn to show a happy face all the way up to until your heart life must go on at the end of kind of that first section. Mm-hmm. It's just one steady rise up and then it comes back down and just rises its way back up again. And I just I really like it. The, the, again, the passion in her voice and the way she sings. It's just so awesome. It really is. And this song has a lot of nice major chords to it, which I think is ironic and fitting all at once because the song's about learning how to appear strong, resolute, and happy in spite of the fact that you're full of misery. So the major chords really help give that appearance. She says, never look for sympathy. You have to learn the way of pocketing your pride. Sometimes face humiliation when you're burning up inside. I love the cadence of these lines. You've got to learn is a song where everything flows really nicely. Yeah, it really is. And and lyrically, it's just a whole series of verses like this. You know, you got to learn to be stronger, how to hide your sorrow, learn to leave the table. At times your head must rule your heart is a great line. It's true, yeah. Learn to do what's best for you, even when it's not the easy option. Forge your own path, even if it means the way is going to be a little more difficult. It's a, it's a great message, you know. It's a song of self-awareness, and I like it. I like it too. Gotta take care of business. The record closes on this really adamant track take care of business if you wanted horns and you know you never got them on give me some you got them all right back here the horn section in take care of business is phenomenal yeah i love the horns here i feel like it closes out this record with a lot of attitude a lot of finality there's no unfinished business after this track kind of puts his foot down there's times where there's she has this way to belt a word without belting it like it's not like she gets super like loud in your face with it but just the way the intensity behind what she's saying like the volume doesn't change but she still is belting it, and it's good. It's got venom. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. It's uh, it's another, you know, surprisingly intense lyrical song for the time. Uh, taking care of business this is a nice little metaphor for physical satisfaction in some of these places. In the bridge, she says, All my life, no one has made me feel so sweet. You're God's gift to all womanhood. It's a really interesting song, lyrically. I like it. It's a great way to close out the record. But yeah, well, I I think it's time to spin finally. Take care of business and final spin. Oh, 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 uh, well, let's spin it. I didn't say it at the beginning. Cut that in. You didn't say it at the (laughs) beginning. I wondered if you'd notice. I was too excited to get into it. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, understandable. Great album. So for me, I think this album is a breeze to get through. The songs are fun. They're musically very engaging, highly engaging. A lot of variation in chord patterns and song structure. And they're wicked short because that's just the way it was back then. The longest song on this record is about three and a half minutes. And the rest of the album averages less than three minutes per song. So it's a really quick listen. And I'd encourage you to check it out if you find yourself with a half hour and an urge to listen to 60s R&B blues. As for music, I think this album's getting an 86. I like a lot of these songs melodically. I mean, they're very well written and and awesome in the chord structure. And some of them, you know, just lean heavy on the 12-bar blues or a couple of the the regular concepts for this time period, which is fine. 86 is, I mean, it's pretty high. Lyrically, like I said, we've either got a lightweight or an absolutely saturated metaphor. So 
I like the balance, mostly for the metaphors. I'm giving it an 83. The simple lyrics detract from the score sometimes. But again, her singing is really what puts that over the edge on even the lyrically simplest of songs. Her voice is just a delight. Instruments and production, the album's a little old. The instruments are largely just piano, and sometimes it does leave you wanting a little more. Like you talked about with some of the horn parts or the call and response vocals that were fun but only happened once. I'm giving instruments and production an 84. And the overall vibe, solid. This is a solid record, cover to cover, short, sweet, to the point. It's got a lot to say and it says it well, without wavering. I'm giving it an 84. And of course, a lot of these songs are covers. Nina did not contribute to their writing. So no bonus point. No bonus point. The final score for this album, I Put a Spell on You, is getting an 84.5. Puts it. Drum roll. At number 264 on the ranking list. I got a little carried away with the drums there. That's good. Yeah, that's good. I think that's a good score. I think so too. I wish it was a little higher. Yeah. But I can't do that in good conscience. Mm. Me, myself, and I all agree that this is a... (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Glad you're on the same page. (laughs) I started that since I didn't know where I was going to go and then made myself laugh with where it ended up. But anyway, I quite enjoyed the album. I'm glad that I'm the reason that we ended up doing it. It's almost like it ended up being a Connor pick without being a Connor pick. I know. Really good things came out of that Lil Wayne episode. See, you sat through a rap album and look what we got out of it yeah and i think you enjoyed the carter three a good amount forget the carter three we got nina simone out of it it's true but the carter three could have been worse for you it could have been my top three in album order kinda kinda so i know my top three the carnival mention still debating as we speak so uh my top three in album order i put a spell on you feeling good and you've got to learn nice as for the Connorable mention, there's a couple different ways I could go with it. I've got four songs written down right now. <laughs> yeah, so we're looking at seven out of 12 on your short list. Yeah, but I can only pick four. Oh, which one? I think I'm going to go with One September Day. Oh, okay. Kind of a sleeper pick for the Connorable mention. Yeah. I think it's become such a pop culture nerd, and it sounds like it belongs in a movie. It was between that and a couple other things that I, I'm not legally allowed to say. Nope. But no, the other ones that I kind of talked about earlier about liking were probably the ones that were there. Just saying. <laughs> There's a really good chance that everything you didn't explicitly say was in your bottom third is probably <laughs> on the list. There's like one song where that Venn diagram doesn't overlap. So Yeah. As for my playlist, what's your playlist pick? I'm curious. Uh-huh. See, I, I was hoping you'd say yours first. But now that I know your tops, I think my playlist pick... Don't do this to me. Don't put me between a rock inside of a glass house and a hard place. Oh, it's so hard not to take the title track. I anticipate if I don't take the title track, you would take Feeling Good, and we would just lose out on I Put a Spell on You, Mm. which is a shame because I would like it. My pick from this album maybe would include Nimikite Pa, but it's it's just such a heavy song. I think it's maybe too sad for the playlist. Uh, let's just say I'm picking a ballad. So if you want to pick something less ballady, that might be a good move. I would throw a vote in maybe for Gimme Some, which you didn't like. But it's definitely, well, Tomorrow's My Turn is also nice. And we both kind of agree on that one. I don't know. Do you want to not have Feeling Good or I Put a Spell on You on the playlist? Because I'm not picking either one. No, no. Now that you say it like that, I can't risk it. I'm taking I, I Put a Spell on You. Great. So you put me in the hard place. That was a, that was a bluff. Uh <laughs> 
I can't yeah, decide between feeling good and you've got to learn. But I think I'm gonna give it to you've got to learn because I want I want a ballad on the playlist and feeling good. I I just I'm so used to the Michael Bublé version. Well, Nina Simone's is classic. It's just not the one I'm I grew up with. It's just not the same. No, you and your nostalgia picks. Yeah, so I'm going with you've got to learn again. Just the way she sings it and it's a great ballad. I just want to be able to have that on a playlist so I can sing it while crying in my car on the way to like work or something. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay well yeah asking you shall receive i can't argue with that <laughs> honestly we could have picked almost any two songs from this album and really simultaneously been super satisfied and super disappointed about what we left out so yeah it's kind of a lose win every chance you get yeah sometimes it's very clear and that's not the case but especially on one like this it's i was gonna be disappointed no matter what because we could only pick two you just gotta embrace it as for my score I'm giving this one eight Enigma Alleys out of 10. I'm honestly surprised. Really? I'm honestly surprised. I thought this would get a nine. Oh, you thought it would be a nine. I just, I, I went back and forth, but in, you know, I also chose good conscious over bad conscious and went with an eight because I don't think I like it. It's been a while since I've listened to them, but I don't think I like it more than Halsey, Randy Travis, John Batiste, stuff like that. So it's going to slide in right above wham. Wow. Not even top of the eights. I really did enjoy the John Batiste one and the, and Halsey's I can't have love. I want power. I actually think I kind of liked it better than storms of life, but I don't think I liked it more than we are. I don't know. I haven't listened to storms <laughs> of life in a while. Yeah. Interesting. Huh? I I really do think that bottom third is what really keeps it from a nine though because i can't remember a single bad song on we are that might just no. be because i haven't heard the bad songs on we are in a while but we are was fun yeah i don't know yeah i just i decided to go with an eight that's where my gut told me to go after quickly looking at my list but if it did get a nine it definitely would have been bottom of the nines fair your nines are, are a tough crowd to beat yeah they're an exclusive club i know it's a very big exclusive club but it is a very good exclusive club it's hard to get into i got 18 nines out of 76 episodes that's a pretty exclusive list <laughs> it is it is so an eight for nina simone yep and again the unit is is enigma alleys because my alleys are an enigma don't tell me what's in them right sure i guess i guess i can't tell you what's really up your alley this one caught me off guard <laughs> I thought we were a little closer, but okay. I actually think based on where you're scoring it, like I said, you had the same thing where like your score was honestly a little on the low side for where you wanted it. Wished it was higher. I wish this was a nine. Didn't shake out that way. It just isn't. I'm interested to see where it ranks on our comparative ranking spreadsheet of all the episodes we've done. Yes, I'm. Ex- that spreadsheet's super exciting now that it's out there and live for people to go check out. I, I can't wait every time we add something new to it. I know. It, it's fun. It's a fun little one for one of every episode we've done. But yeah, I guess that's going to do it for the final episode of 2022 this has been our first full year with a podcast isn't that fun 52 episodes yeah wow we hit 52 episodes in 2022 no signs of slowing down none whatsoever this podcast gonna keep spinning in the 2023 yeah okay pop quiz do you remember what our first episode of 2022 was uh or alternately you can name the last album of 2021 i think i know i think i do remember what it was because it was when my mother was super excited for it would have been uh fleetwood mac it was rumors right it was rumors was the last episode of 2021 and and do you know what the first episode of 2022 was we talked about it a lot recently then that means it would have been weezer after that yep but yeah we'll see you next year for all kinds of fun have fun with your new year's resolutions 
Pick some fun albums for the year. Find us on Twitter, at SpinItPod, on Instagram, at SpinItPodOfficial, and on the web, www.spinitpod.com. Take care of yourself, and keep spinning! Keep spinning! I was about to say keep. It would have been ridiculous for me to say spinning. Yeah, it would have. I'm looking over at the Mixtapers computer monitor right now, and I just see uh, a Google search for where to buy monkeys, and I'm a little concerned. You should be, probably. Yeah, I don't think he'll be able to get 300 of them. But even one is more than I want, to be honest. You just need to keep him away from the Prime Minister of Barbados. <laughs> I honestly, honestly, I kind of would be okay with four monkeys that we would name after the monkeys. I could get down with that. I could see it. <laughs> oh, and a fifth one named Griselda. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs>